Hello and welcome to Hawkeye Nation. This is Hotcast, your Iowa football, basketball, and recruiting podcast brought to you by GoIowaAwesome and Rivals.com. I'm your recruiting analyst and host, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter, joined by publisher Adam Jacoby. And uh, I've been saying you're a publisher, Ross. What's your technical title while, we, while we're here? Managing editor. Managing editor. That's What's the difference? I don't I don't know. You're my bosses. <laughs> I can tell you that. Anyway, uh, go give them a follow on Twitter as well at Ross WB and at Adam underscore Jacoby. So before we get started as well, if you want to drop us a question at any point in time through the podcast, drop that five star rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Do it anyway if you don't have a question. And then, of course, uh, if you want to become a premium subscriber today, you can do that at iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe. We got great insider content for you and some conversations going on on our premium board that are just a fun place to be. So starting off today's pod, talking a little bit about Beth Getz and her introductory presser today. This was we're recording here Thursday because I'm going to be out of town coming up this this weekend and a little bit into next week. So talking a little bit about about. Beth and and what she brought today at her introductory presser. Adam and I were both there, got an article out on the site about her embracing the swarm. And that was the main takeaway, I think, for pretty much everybody. Um, Adam, we'll start with you. What are your thoughts just uh, generally on today? And then we can get into the swarm, too, if if it we find ourselves there. Go ahead, Adam. I thought Beth Getz was impressive. Again, um, she was on the fight for Iowa podcast about a week or two ago with Gary Dolphin. And that is, we'll call it a controlled environment as media appearances go. Gary Dolphin is not going to be firing 95 mile an hour fastballs, nor should he, right? There, there is a time and a place for state run media, which is essentially what that podcast is. But again, like you need to be good at that first and, and she was tremendous uh gets very thoughtful answers if a question is framed in a way that doesn't sort of reflect reality she won't fall into those traps um there, there are less pcs ver there are less pc versions of this phenomenon but but if if one of us had gone up there and said you know have you stopped smoking drugs yet right she would not she would not <laughs> fall into that trap and i appreciate that because it it not only does it tell me that there's there's a baseline of like real time intelligence going on there but also that she is understanding questions not only you know the words that are coming out of our mouths but the context behind them every single question she got she understood the context behind it gave a thoughtful, as near as I can tell, a truthful, sincere answer without it sounding canned. And, and even when she was giving non-answers or half answers, rarely, if ever, were we under the impression that she was keeping anything from us. And what's also nice is I got the opportunity to uh, shake hands with her after the uh, press conference and do a little bit of chit chat. And she's the same person in that environment too. This is not a cameras on cameras off sort of situation. And everybody that I've talked to that has 
worked with her in the past, whether it's in the last year at Iowa or at campuses prior, that was sort of the expectation that they set for her too. So what we see is what we get. Ha ha ha. That's a pun, plan words. Uh, but I, I, I truly believe that she, I, I truly believe that, that she is capable of the job, that it's not too big for her, and that she understands what she's walking into and how to make it successful. And that is going to be ultimately beneficial for the Iowa Athletic Department. Now, Ross, you haven't been able to to meet Beth yet or to be be in her presence, the athletic director of Iowa. Uh, so you haven't been able to meet her yet. And so you've been on, I guess you've, you've got a little bit of an outside perspective as opposed to us who have been able to see her speak. Just what are your thoughts so far as, as seeing her kind of from a different angle than, than Adam and I? I mean, I'm really just kind of judging her, so to speak, or, I mean, making it, <laughs> that's not good. Making an opinion about her uh, based on her statements that she's made so far and the quotes uh, that were relayed through the press conference. And, you know, they were, you know, very uh, impressive quotes. You know, she, she clearly, uh, you know, had a good perspective on uh, what to say about those items and uh, clearly expressed it. And, you know, I didn't think she seemed like she was holding much back or, you know, was too, you know, obscure or anything. So yeah, her, her quote seemed very, very impressive. I, at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm on board with you guys. She's, she's been great. I introduced her myself at Iowa football's media days last week, just shook her hand and said, nice to meet you and, and best of luck with everything. And she's got, she's got that level of charisma to be a leader. And, and she knows what she's doing when she's speaking to a group of people. She's clearly been there before. And I imagine you guys agree with me. There's a certain contingent on Twitter that is just already against her already and don't want the folks to, you know, folks like us to sort of give her the, uh, the full-time AD position and remove the interim. They're saying that media is just already saying, yeah, it's her, which kind of is. I mean, I, I, that's kind of what I've been gathering and it makes me want to support her more <laughs> like by way of not just saying, Hey, she's good at what she's doing. She clearly has been there before. She's got a leadership qualities. It, it makes me want to double down. Like I, I that's maybe that's may says more about me. But I've I've enjoyed the the interactions that we've been able to have with her. It's clear that she has a solid relationship with Lisa Bluter, and whether or not you want to put that as a foundational thing for a uh, for for an AD uh, for the women's basketball coach, it's important at Iowa, but seeing them interact, they're friends. And, and I think they respect one another. And Lisa Bluter looks at her as a point of leadership in the athletic department. Adam, you had something to say. I, I will point out that the only coaches that I saw and recognized at the news conference today were Coach Bluter and Coach Jensen. There, there, there may have been others, and I don't want to say nobody else showed up, the only two that I noticed and recognized were those two. And to your point, I think that's not a coincidence. And they are, I, I think there is some simpatico there as well. There should be. And, and 
I don't think that there is any reason to be concerned about the relationship with any of the other coaches. She mentioned during the news conference how blessed the Iowa Athletic Department is to have so many, uh, her term was Hall of Fame coaches. You know, Kirk Ferentz hasn't been inducted yet. I don't know whether or not he will, but I, it's plausible. Uh, Fran McCaffrey has some work to do, but has sort of the baseline of a resume that gets him closer to that level than a whole lot of other coaches in the Big Ten have on their resumes thus far, right? Rick Heller is on that level. Lisa Bluter is on that level. Tom Brands is on that level. So for her to recognize that straight out of the gate or 11 months out of the gate, <laughs> that is, I, I think it's very important for an athletic department or excuse me, an athletic director to acknowledge. And she, when asked about the uh, sort of inevitable need to replace any of them, rather than get into that juicy, sexy sort of talk about, well, here's the sort of coach that we look for. And, you know, it's going to be, she didn't fall in any of that. One of the first things she said was, I hope we don't have to replace any of them anytime soon or, or something to that effect. And I, I really appreciated that she made sure that she started with that. Because if I were in her position, I wouldn't want to replace any of them either. I, I would be hoping to ride all five of those trains that I mentioned for as long as possible. Because once you start to get into that churn of turnover, not only for the head coach, but their staffs as well, you start to lose seasons in terms of productivity, in terms of them being assets to what your athletic, athletic department is doing. And I think she is as aware of that as anybody. And a big part of that comes from having been in this athletic department, working under Gary Barta for as long as she did, to really understand and appreciate firsthand the value of that continuity. And I think very much that she is invested in that continuity now and, and will be in the future. As to the people on Twitter, fortunately, no one's brought that fight to my doorstep, not that I spend a whole lot of time on Twitter these days anyway. I, all I will say is I think the people who have made that decision about her are not, that's not a very high information decision about her. I, that's, there's a, we'll, we'll put there's, it that way. There's a reason you don't go to Twitter when making uh, hires in any sort of athletic <laughs> department or for a coaching job or what have you. And I, again, it's a small contingent, but it's it's one of those things that makes folks like me double down. Be, Screw you. She's awesome. <laughs> Which, you know, we have yet to really fully see the uh, the breadth of what she'll do in the position. Um, and I've only interacted with her a couple of times. But to, to the point that you just made, Adam, regarding her respect and admiration for the coaches that have been around for so long, that doesn't mean she's universally sticking with the status quo. I think that she is a coach that, or coach, a person that respects the history of Iowa and those in the positions that have brought success to the programs. 
but at the same time is willing to look forward and embrace things like the Swarm, like the NIL Collective, which is ridiculously important. Ross, I don't know if you want to speak to that at all or if you've noticed that as well. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely think that she's, uh, you know, done a good job of cultivating some relationships with uh, the Swarm, which is, you know, a really strong position, necessary position, and a big difference between, uh, you know, what her predecessor, Gary Barta, did. So, you know, I think taking those steps is a, a huge positive for, for Iowa athletics. And I'm curious to see, you know, what the next steps of that might look like. I knew when she was first asked about the swarm, it was like, oh, this quote's going to be important. Better tweet something about this. And and I'll read it to you verbatim. It's in the story on iowa.rivals.com. She said, I had an opportunity to sit down with Brad, really enjoyed that conversation. He sent me some notes about some tips on today. One was to make sure I talk positively about the swarm. That was no problem. Um, of course, she's joking there a little bit. But here's the the really important quote. I know many on our staff have already had an opportunity to build a relationship with Brad, but when it comes to name image likeness, it's critical. It's a critical, critical piece for our student athletes and our success competitively, no different than generosity that's coming in through NIL gifts and through the swarm and in other ways. It's just as important these days as scholarships and facilities and any other needs, unquote. Uh, Brad actually found that tweet by me of that partial quote and responded to it and said, amen. And I think that's how a lot of the fan base feels at this point. Yeah, I would be inclined to agree. It is something that we understand that what the swarm was getting out of the previous athletic director was frustrating at times. It was not a, you know, it wasn't a brick wall. It's not as if they got shut out, but Brad and the people who are the most heavily involved in the swarm understand that there were levers that were not being pulled. And that has the potential to have a really negative effect on Iowa's competitiveness. And it's really easy. It's awfully easy when you're in a position of trying to find replacements for leadership positions to sort of make the same mistake that the University of Iowa did when they were trying to replace the coach who will not be named and they ended up with Todd Licklider. And by that, I mean somebody who looked at the landscape of college basketball and said, well, I'm still going to do it my old school way. You know, Todd Licklider didn't want to deal with AAU in Power 5 basketball in the 21st century. Shockingly, that tenure only lasted three years. And, you know, somebody with the amount of reputation as somebody of integrity that Beth gets was bringing into not only the deputy role, now into the interim role and quite plausibly into the permanent role, it's, it would be easy for somebody who is committed to the integrity of the athletic department to be like, no, we're not touching that stuff. And really what the end effect of that would be, would be diminishing the competitiveness of this athletic department. And, and that would be ruinous for an athletic director. So the fact that she gets the critical importance of the swarm, of NIL, of the gifts, of 
you know, the, you know, the two different avenues that the swarm goes that, that she has that grasp of this from the get go and that the swarm is happy with the way that she has presented it so far, um, is something that really cannot be taken for granted and is another one of those situations where like, if, if you're really complaining about this person, do your homework, do your math. Like, I have talked to somebody who is absolutely not affiliated with the University of Iowa, will never be accused of bias toward the University of Iowa, but who has worked with athletic departments for the last 20, 25 years in various respects, uh, business respects. And one, their favorite athletic department or their favorite athletic director in the state of Iowa in the years that they had been working with any of them was Bob Bolsby, which sort of gives you a little bit of a clue as to what they respect about athletic directors. Big fans of Pollard, big not fans of Bruce Vandevelde for the record. When I told them that Iowa was bringing in Beth Getz as just the interim and with a avenue toward being permanent AD, I will tell you, their face lit up in a way that they were not obligated to be excited. They were not, they had no reason to blow any smoke up my trousers, right? This, if they weren't happy about this, and, and there's somebody who knows <laughs> the landscape of 80s as well as anybody that I know, if they weren't happy, they would tell me. They respect the heck out of, Bell, uh, out of out of Beth Getz, and that is respect that predates anything that she had said coming into Iowa City, anything that she'd said at any press conferences. Like, this is a reputation that she has carried in with her to Iowa City to begin with. And, yeah, do we, do we think that she's the next permanent one? Yeah, of course, because otherwise you don't bring her in to begin with. For her to be named deputy and then named interim, and for that road to stop there, it doesn't make sense for Getz, it doesn't make sense for Barta at the time, and it doesn't make sense for the University of Iowa. So it's not up to us as media to crown her or not crown her. <laughs> I assure you, we're not in that room making that decision. But we are in those rooms like the club room today for the press conference, we are observing, we are noticing, we are talking directly to her. And so far, it's been nothing but flying colors as far as I'm concerned. And, and believe me, if it weren't, I'd be the first to say it. Yeah. Yeah. We'd be talking about it right now on this podcast <laughs> to tell you that right now. The other thing that you and I talked about briefly following the presser was the brief, again, brief talk of Brian Ferentz's amendment to his contract about 25 points per game. Now, there's only so many times you could say Brian Ferentz in reference to Iowa football, so we can spend a very short amount of time on this if you guys want to, and and I'm sure fans are, are tired of it too because, well – we're going to be talking. We, I don't know if we're going to be talking a lot about it, but we're going to hear a lot about it come football season and whether or not the team is is co I don't know if cognizance the right word, but but paying attention to their points per game and worried about their coach's job. So 
basically what I gathered when she was asked about the 25 points per game thing is she said, yeah, I know of it, but we're focusing on winning and, and the team's yeah. focusing on winning. And I think that was pretty much it. I, I mean, Adam, would you get, is that what you gathered too? Pretty much. Uh, I would not say that it was, well, I would say it was non-committal, but I don't think it was something that re- represented a material shift in the way that the athletic department is handling that contract. I think it was just something where sports writers like us care a whole lot more about those stipulations than somebody who is in her position, which isn't to say that it's not important, especially with the amount of money and the amount of attention that gets involved there. But it's one of about 7,000 things she needs to worry about and probably not the most pressing of them, probably not even on that podium, right? There's so many other things that are more important and are more likely to become important over the next few months. I will be perfectly candid. I think by November, anything about Brian Ferentz's contract is going to become more or less moot. And not because of any shenanigans or chicanery from the athletic department or anything like that. I just think Iowa will be at their, you know, six or seven wins and will be far enough of uh, far enough ahead of that twenty five point pace that people are going to be. It'll, it'll be old news. It'll be moot point. That's my thought anyway. I, I think that is the most realistic of the different scenarios that might transpire. And in that case, why would Beth Getz, especially in the last five minutes of what's been otherwise a pretty darn good, easygoing press conference? Why would she dwell on that? It, it, it wouldn't pass the smell test. And, and honestly, especially for somebody who is the direct supervisor for Brian Ferentz, like if your boss on their in, in their introductory news conference goes up there and is telling everybody about how she's not going to take any business from you and, and she's going to be the ultimate... I would not enjoy that <laughs> if I were in Brian's shoes. We'll put it that way. So she does have to manage the, the people that report to her in a lot of ways. And, and part of that is making sure that they know that they can trust her, that they can communicate candidly, and that they're going to get support, public support from her. This was her opportunity to show that support, even if it's not going to be popular for a whole lot of fans who think Iowa should be scoring 50 points a game. That, that contingent is not what she's worried about because that contingent doesn't report directly to her. Brian Ferentz does. So, you know, was it as satisfying an answer as a whole lot of Iowa fans would want? I, I, would, I would say no. Is it a good answer for somebody who is directly managing Brian Ferentz? Much more so. Yes. And of course, of course, fans and us as media want some more meat to that answer. Of course Mm -hmm. we do. But at the same time, from a logistical standpoint, from a leadership standpoint, what more do you expect? What more do you want 
as a fan, as a media member, do you do you want do you want her to take it to a level that that is unnecessary? Because that's probably not going to paint a great picture of the structure of things in in Iowa City. Maybe not structure, but of of the way things are situated relationally in Iowa City. You kind of hit you you pretty much said that, Adam. But to to put it bluntly, what more do you want? You know, and I don't think anybody's necessarily screaming for more on that contract right now. Anyway, uh, whether or not down the road they do, I, I imagine we're going to hear a lot of the same for for what from Beth regarding that. And we'll also point out that she did say that the contract provision of 25 points per game is still in place, right? She she didn't belabor yeah. it because there's there's no there's no benefit to belaboring it, but she said. It's still there, and there's no reason to believe that it wouldn't be there or it wouldn't be like contracts or contracts. <laughs> you know, there's only so much you can do, especially when once they're signed and, and all of that. And it's it's another situation where reputationally she really does not want to go back on something like that. That that would be really difficult for her credibility, especially coming straight out of the gate. So, but again, it doesn't behoove her. It doesn't behoove the people that report to her, not only Brian, but Kirk. It She doesn't need to belabor that. So the fact that she, after saying, yep, the contract provision's still in place, and, and before that reporter could, you know, really, really hone down on it, she, you know, reframed it in terms of, look, he wants to win. We all want to win. And we're committed to that. And honestly, I don't know what else you you sort of want from her other than to dump on her own employee. And, and I don't want that. I, I don't think anybody in Iowa city in that athletic department wants that. And ultimately it doesn't do anything for fans except sort of, I don't know, feed their negativity for a little bit. And that is straight up, not an athletic director's job straight up. Nope. Uh, word of the day based on that statement from Adam is behoove. It behooves them. <laughs> <laughs> on to our next topic here on on Hotcast because I think we've we've got the Beth Getz situation handled. Is there anything Ross or Adam that you wanted to add or that you took away from today? Because I'm good. Ross, no, nothing else. No, nothing Sweet. else for me. Pretty straightforward, and uh, we move on to football here on Hotcast as well. We're gonna go through Iowa's season schedule game by game here, as we are doing on iowa.rivals.com as well with way more lengthy explanations as to predictions and games and what to expect so check those out those are free on iowa.rivals.com so you can check those out uh, western michigan up next starting tomorrow next week uh tomorrow yeah tomorrow well or, or I, guess. I, I suppose it would be friday it would be friday yeah friday. so they're yeah. so they're up and ready to go anyway uh we're, we're gonna start here with utah state uh, I, I think all of us expect a blowout, obviously, a lot of these games. And the scores are contingent on the health of Iowa's starting quarterback. So right now we're presuming he's good to go and, and not reading into it too much because that's what we know. It's, it's soft tissue. And so we don't know the specifics of it all, so we're not going to continue to speculate as to when he'll be back. We're assuming he's ready week one. Utah State. The way I see it, this this team, they're group of five for a reason. They are coming off a season where they – I read some stat from one of our, our prediction 
articles. I can't remember. I, I don't think they were particularly awesome offensively last season, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, but I, I'm expecting probably a 31 to 10, 27 to 10 sort of situation where Iowa continues to get its footing. Specifically, the offensive line continues to get its footing. We see a defensive touchdown or two, two, three turnovers, and Iowa moves on to Iowa State. Ross, where are you at with this game? Yeah, I'm seeing something pretty similar to you. I mean, I think the defense is going to uh, have a good day. Probably, you know, not a fun day for the Utah State offense. I don't think they'll move the ball too effectively. I think Iowa probably forces a few turnovers. Uh, if they score one, that'd be, you know, lovely. Uh, I think the the offensive line probably will look better than we've uh, than we've seen in the last year or two, uh, which would be a big plus. Uh, I think Caleb Johnson has a good game, and uh, yeah, I think this will just be a you know a solid, very solid outing for Iowa. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. I I, I think it is uh, a a whackrifice or a Mountain Westrifice uh, that Mountain Westrifice doesn't work, but but you, you you get the you get the gist. I I don't think Utah State is going to be terribly competitive in this one. They were outscored by 116 points last year. There you go. New defensive coordinator. And for a team that gave up about 35 points a game and is going up against an Iowa team that has won, you know, Iowa, a power five team, two is going to have a much improved, much deeper offensive line. Three is intent on running the ball and running it effectively and will probably take every opportunity to do exactly that in the second half. Like does Utah state really have the personnel to slow down Iowa's running game for four quarters, especially when their backups are guys like LaShawn Williams, who Kirk Ferentz is saying, you know, has been practicing as well as he ever has in his life. And jazz Patterson, who everybody is saying runs violent. The, that, that's the word that keeps coming up with him is the violence with which he runs. Now, I'm not going to go ahead and call him the next Marshawn Lynch or anything like that, but I do know if I were in uh, a Utah State defender, it's the late third quarter, early fourth quarter, you're sending me in there, and I got to tack, tackle this 230-pound ball of hatred while we're already down by 30 points, like I'd just be looking for the sin to finish button. I would not want to be out there. It, it would not be fun. And it would not be a terribly productive day for me either. So I think Iowa runs away with this one. You know, their week one scores are always closer than everybody wants them to be. But it would not surprise me if they win this thing by 30 40 points just because I think they are built so much better for the second halves of games exactly like this than they were in 2022. And, and we saw that against Nevada. We saw that against Rutgers. We saw that against Northwestern. Uh, this is a team that is now built to put teams that don't belong on the field with them away. Yeah. I, I think uh, to paraphrase a little bit from what Coach Betts said when I spoke with him about the running backs at Media Day, he said something like, defenders hate physical backs. They get tired of tackling in the in the second half. So 
to, to paraphrase and sum up what you just said, Adam, that's what, what Betts is going for with, with his guys, especially the 230 pound. Did you say ball of hate? Pretty close. Yeah. Okay. Battering Ram of hate, something like that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't even On to game two, as the Hawkeyes are predicted to be one and zero from us here at uh, go Iowa. Awesome. And I'm going to start this one too, because I see it going differently than I think a lot of the guys on staff do or in our, in our, or on our site do. I just don't see a scenario where Rocco Becht or JJ Cole enter this game and are anywhere remotely comfortable during any of it at all. Not only will they have never seen a defense like Iowa's to this point in their football career, I don't know that they will for the remainder of the season in the big 12, considering what's available defensively in that conference. So the way I see things shaking out and specifically because of that now, who knows what Iowa's offense is going to look like transitioning from a group of five, presumably dominant win to facing a P five team that traditionally has a pretty solid defense in Iowa state. Now, they are missing Isaiah Lee on the de- defensive line, which is important. He's a guy who's been around for a while and won't be available for them. Who knows who else this pro- this program may continue to lose, but losing not only Isaiah Lee, but your starting quarterback and presumably your starting running back against one of the best defenses in the country, I don't see this going well. I predicted like 34 to 10 or something like that, and that's why. Now, I know this game is typically a knockout dra- – or drag down knockout fight. I think that's how that goes. But I remember when I was probably in fifth grade, I went to the Iowa, Iowa state game and uh, fifth or sixth, maybe seventh grade and Iowa beat Iowa state in Ames 35 to zero. Now I don't necessarily see it panning out as such, but I don't think this game's going to be close at this rate with what Iowa state's bringing to the table. And Adam, you look ready to either eviscerate me or completely agree. I don't know. Go ahead. Option C. I'm ready to tell a story. Um, <laughs> I I don't quite think it's going to be the blowout that you're predicting just because Iowa State, you know, the fans, their fans don't like to hear it from us that it's ISU Super Bowl. And in a way, it it is less so now than it has been in the past. And, and, and kudos to Matt Campbell for getting that team actually somewhat competitive in a majority of seasons in the Big 12. That being said, I agree that ISU is not built for success in this game. I agree Rocco Becht, J.J. Cole, whoever they put under center or seven yards behind center, if they're one of those shotgun-only teams, is not going to have a fun day. And the reason that you got that reaction out of me was because I was in Ames for that game too. And oh, I wow. was wearing I, I, I was wearing a shirt. Uh, Ross, I think you remember this because it was one of the first that we sold back at uh, Blackheart Gold Pants. But the shirt said, Iowa State girls are not trash. Trash gets picked up. Oh. Mind you, mind you, my girlfriend at the time was an ISU student. <laughs> Oh, like, like she's with me while I'm wearing this shirt. And what was funny was the I, the, the the other women in Ames thought it was hilarious. The men did not. Uh, 
which I, I'm like, look, I'm insulting the ladies here. Right? <laughs> uh, but but that was it's a in, of, in, there's a lot of chivalry in Ames, Adam. Didn't you know that? Yeah, yeah, clearly. clearly. <laughs> Ooh, I don't and, know about that. <laughs> I, I felt a whole lot better about wearing that shirt around town after the 35-0 win than before. We'll put it that way. Um, <laughs> But that, that's, that's a lasting memory for me, a core memory, as, as some Pixar fans might say. But yes, I, I think by and large, ISU is going to have a tough, tough time against this defense. And, you know, is it going to be a 30, 40-point win? I, I, I think a lot of Iowa fans would like that. Uh, I think from Kirk Ferentz, He's going to be more than happy to walk out of there with a, you know, 17-point win, 14, like, if it's not competitive, if they are not playing to win or lose the game with one minute left, I think the margin of victory is borderline immaterial for Kirk. So I I think Iowa wins this one pretty handily. I just don't know quite exactly what the scoreboard is going to say while they do that. Ross, what do you think? I don't know. Unlike you two guys, I'm too scarred by last year to expect any 30-point victories, I think. So at least until I see this offense in a real game. But I do think that Iowa is just a more talented team than Iowa State at pretty much every position heading into that game, you know, barring some you know unforeseen happenings between now and September 9th. But uh, and, and that's just going to make itself manifest during the game. And, you know, I think Elliot's point about – you know, Iowa State's going to be rolling with a really inexperienced, very young quarterback. Um, their second ever start, probably, against this Iowa defense. Uh, that is not a recipe for success for Iowa State. Um, you know, they they have not seen what a Phil Parker defense is able to do. And I just don't foresee that going well for them. I, I think they're going to have trouble moving the ball on Iowa. Um, so that's, you know, going to be a real challenge for them. As far as Iowa's offense goes... Um, you know, Iowa State seems like they've got a lot of a lot of holes up front right now. And if that's the case and the Iowa offensive line is, you know, what we're hoping it can be, you know, if I was able to control the line of scrimmage in this game and just kind of impose its will and run the ball effectively, then I don't know that this is going to be a, a huge blowout game because it might just be one of those Iowa controls the time of possession to an absurd degree. You know, Iowa grinds the ball down the field. And, you know, it's an eight, nine minute drive and, you know, it ends with a field goal or a touchdown or whatever, but. Or they kneel it out at the one. while they're Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. this could just be Iowa almost playing keep away with Iowa state on, you know, in terms of keeping the ball. And uh, so, you know, I do feel good about this game, which is an unusual feeling. Um, and I think definitely our staff, you know, there's some, residual scarring about, you know, the Iowa state games have been very close lately, uh, especially under Campbell. Uh, but I do think there are some material differences between uh, this Iowa team and the last few Iowa teams and most significantly this Iowa state team and the last few Iowa state teams. And uh, that's going to, you know, tell the tale on September 9th. The thing I'll say lastly about this game is whoever starts at quarterback whether iowa state's wearing white red or black it will be an extra hue of green by the end of the game (laughs) on to western michigan 
I haven't done enough research on this team yet to say definitively anything other than it's a group of five team and Iowa should win this game at home. Maybe I, I, I don't, I know I don't have a score or anything, but probably fairly handily and be three and zero at this point. I think that's, that's about as succinct as I can put it with how little I know about Western Michigan right now. I think you chalk it up as a win. Yeah. To paraphrase Charles Barkley on the dream team in 1992, somebody asked him about the national basketball team of Angola. Charles said, I don't know nothing about Angola, but I know they're in trouble. (laughs) I know Western Michigan's in trouble. This is, I'm, I'm not going to, do something crazy and and say that the Iowa defense runs their streak of games with a touchdown to four, but the the defense, the Doughboys will be gunning for a TD somehow, some way. And I think Western Michigan is going to have to work pretty hard to not give them one of those opportunities. We'll put it that way. I don't think this is going to be terribly close and uh, I, I think, like you said, 3-0. Ross, any particular Western Michigan insight for us? Yeah, well, I'll just say, you know, they have a new coach this year. Uh, so a lot of upheaval there, especially on their roster. Uh, I believe the last one of the last times they had a new coach, uh, he came into Iowa City his first year for a game. Uh, Iowa won, I believe, 59 to nothing. Uh, the head coach of that game was uh, P.J. Fleck who we may know from other venues. And, uh, yeah, it's just – it's not a good situation to come into Iowa with a brand-new coach, a team in transition. Uh, I think, yeah, this is – Iowa – this should probably be the easiest game on Iowa's schedule. Like, I think all every unit on Iowa has a potential to score in this game. You know, offense, defense, special teams. Like, this, this should be a very – you know, just excellent all-around performance, probably. On to week four and the first real challenge of the season for Iowa. It is at Penn State. That will be a whiteout in Happy Valley. And the question mark for me going into this one is, well, how good is Drew Aller? Because if he's all that national media like to crack him up to be, to be the next guy – to be a potential Heisman winner in his future. And, I mean, I believe he was a, a, a top prospect in whatever class he was in. If he is all he's cracked up to be and he can show it against an Iowa defense, then uh-oh, going forward. And uh, Penn State might be a national title contender. I think they came out number seven in the AP poll. Either way, We'll, we'll really see it. The first two games for Penn State should be easy Ws. West Virginia, Delaware, and then it's at Illinois. So Illinois will probably give the young quarterback a, a little bit of a run for his money because they do have a solid defense in Champaign. So I, I think that'll be Drew Aller's first real look at a Power 5 defense that can go in and mess him up. And it'll be – a the same thing the following week. So either Drew Aller is going to come in and be ridiculously confident after ripping apart Illinois and thinking he's going to do the same thing against Iowa, or he's going to be beaten to hell after a, a tough game against the fighting Illini, which is a possibility. Confidence down, maybe comes in, throws a pick, loses a little bit of that confidence. 
who knows? Either way, being that it is at Penn State, it's a whiteout. That environment is going to be absolutely freaking bonkers. I think this is the first loss for Iowa's season. So three and one at this point to me. Yeah, I think it's going to be a very competitive game for exactly the reasons that you mentioned. Drew Aller, like, all right, you want to be a five-star, this is your opportunity to do it. And uh, for it to come this early in the season, especially after what is going to be a very physical battle in Champaign, that team, that that Illinois team, and, and we'll get to them later, but he, Brett Bielema is making that team in his image in that classic big 10 West. We're going to line up and we're going to hitch in the mouth and we're going to do that for 60 minutes. Penn state needs to be ready for that on its own to go from that to Iowa. They, how they process that Illinois game, how they play in it too, but how they process it after that and how they flip it, from that game plan to the Phil Parker defense, because these are different defenses, but they're both tough in their own way. It's going to be a real challenge for Penn State. Are they up to the challenge? Quite possibly. That's why you have all this four and five star talent, because, you know, there's some guys that just make mistakes disappear. And Penn State's got a few of those guys on both sides of the ball. I don't think this is going to be a terribly high scoring game. But I sort of thought the same thing when these two teams played in Penn State back in, I believe it was 96. And that was the Tim Dwight year where he took one back and I think almost took another one back or, or had another uh, close call on a, on a long score. And Iowa ended up winning that one 21-20. I am not going to go quite as far as to predict an Iowa win here. So knock me down or, or mark me down for three and one, just like you, Elliot. I do think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be a four quarter game. And I think we're getting back to the hotel at about three or 4 a.m. Yeah, I could see it. Yeah, I, I'm kind of the same way as you guys. Um, well, I'm exactly the same way as you guys, let's be honest. But uh, I, you know, you want to hope that the parallels between this game and 2009 are there. You know, top 10 Penn State team, night game, whiteout. Um, and that turned out brilliantly for Iowa. Um, you know, really, you know, legendary upset. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, Adrian Claiborne doesn't have any more eligibility. So, that's going to complicate things this year, I think. But um, I, I think that sort of is the, the the model for an Iowa win, though. You know, they're going to need to force turnovers. Uh, they're going to need some big plays on defense or special teams, scoring plays, I think, and, uh, you know, limit mistakes on offense. And if that all happens, I think they got a shot. Um, but that's kind of a lot of ifs and the the safe bet just given everything else about you know this environment this game this team this opponent uh i, I think a three and one record for iowa after this game is uh the most logical choice for sure week five michigan state at home that's a blackout game in iowa city and so this one it depends on what you think of Mel Tucker, in my opinion. 
I think this is ultimately a win for Iowa, but which Mel Tucker do you believe is the real Mel Tucker in, in East Lansing for the Spartans? Is it that first year where they were really, really good, or is it the second year where they were pretty damn bad? And given the transfers, losing of Peyton Thorne, losing of – who's that wide receiver that transferred out? I think he ended up at Florida State. Oh, Brain, I, yeah, yeah. I, I'd be they, able to pick it out of a list, but – yeah. Off the top of my head. Yeah. I know they brought in uh, Cadillac Brown from Nebraska, but given that quarterback situation, given how pretty awful they looked at points last year, I think this is an Iowa victory. I think they moved to four and one. I think we're going to know a whole lot more about this Sparty team and how good they really are two weeks prior to the Iowa game, because that's when they head to Washington to play them in Seattle. And Washington reminds me a pretty decent amount of Iowa, especially now that Iowa has McNamara. And and McNamara really, really should be healthy at that point. (laughs) Really should be. But uh, Michael Penix and Cade McNamara are not dissimilar as quarterbacks, especially with their pocket presence, uh, footwork, not as much of runners as you would think by their stature. But, you know, good decision makers. And so if Michigan State's defense has turned it around to the point where they can give Penix a hard time, pun not intended, yeah, Iowa should be a little bit concerned about that. But I don't think Michigan State has the horses up front. And this is another situation where we'll know for sure by that Washington game. If they can run the ball in Washington, Iowa should be a little bit concerned about that too. Uh, you know, they've got Jalen Berger in the backfield, and, and and Berger's a real, real talent. The fact that he went from Madison to East Lansing, I mean, to me is a bit of a downgrade, but that's his choice. Um, he's He's got the juice, but if there's going to be two, three guys in the backfield every time – he gets the ball handed to him. There's only so much that juice can help you. I think Iowa should win this one by 10, 14 points, but on the caveat that, you know, let's see how they, how Michigan state does in that road test. And, and we'll see which of the last two seasons was the real anomaly. Like you said, for Tucker, because it's, it's, it's probably going to be one or the other. And, it, and if this version of Sparty's in the middle of that, Again, I, I think Iowa's your 10 to 14 point winner. Ross, what do you think? Uh, I think this game is in kind of an awkward spot. You know, coming the week after that Penn State game, uh, it'll be interesting to see what Iowa is able to rebound and, and produce, I think. I mean, I, it's a good thing the game's at home, but, you know, I would expect Iowa to probably, you know, empty the tank in that Penn State game on the road. So their ability to come back, and, you know, turn around and recharge for this game. I think will be tested. Uh, Sparty, you know, there's some big departures there on offense, especially the skilled positions. Um, I believe they do return several offensive linemen and the running back. Uh, You know, they got Berger, like you said. So, you know, there is some ability there, but if they're not able to throw the ball effectively, uh, you know, one thing I've learned from watching Phil Parker defenses over the last 20 some years is he, he loves to, you know, shut down a one-dimensional offense. And if they can run the ball, but that's about it, they're not going to do much against Iowa. 
Uh, and defensively, you know, I think the Spartans look a little uh, up or down. I think, like you said, how they look against Washington uh, will be a good kind of bellwether for the Iowa game. You know, if they if they're effective there, if they can slow down uh, Penix and the the Washington offense, then might give us some concern for the Iowa game. But overall, this seems like a game where Iowa, you know, probably bounces back from that uh, Penn State game. I think it's probably a close game uh, for a while and probably some uh, turnovers in the second half help Iowa pull away. I, I'll say this. If Iowa pulls out that win at Penn State, which, I, you know, I don't think it's likely, but it's plausible. Michigan State is a classic trap game. So I, I would say Iowa probably splits those two games one way or the other. It, it doesn't really click logically to predict that Iowa wins at Penn State and then drops one at home to a substantially worse Michigan State team, especially one that, gosh, when you watched them last year, half the time they looked like they didn't even like care about playing. Like they, they look disinterested to be on the field, which was concerning to say the least. But, you know, I could see that as your trap game if Iowa wins in Happy Valley. So just sort of a reminder to that team that all 12 games are, you know, going to be competitive in their own way. That's all I'll add. On to Purdue, where they have a new head coach and a new starting quarterback, Hudson Card, who transferred in from Texas. And this is a game where I could definitely see one of those fluke losses coming in, particularly because of Hudson Card and what he's potentially able to do offensively for the Boilermakers. Now, I think this also is contingent on how much of a believer one is in Ryan Walters and his ability to take the program forward in his first year in West Lafayette. So, I, I'm excited to see what Hudson card does. I was looking at their, I've got their schedule here and they play Wisconsin in week three and Illinois in week four. Now we'll get to Wisconsin and my thoughts on the Badgers, but they'll have that game against Illinois at home. And I think that will be, be their telling game early on in the season of how good their offense will be against a, a pretty solid defense uh, brought by the, the fighting Illini. Now, at, at this point, I am projecting on Hudson card, but I'm a believer. I'm, I'm excited to see what he does. And if that translate that talent at four, I think believes he was a four star, that talent translates over to Purdue and uh, they're able to be successful without Charlie Jones on the offensive side of the ball. We'll see if they can do that. But um I, I could see this being one of those fluke losses. It is the homecoming game for the Hawkeyes on October 7th, but but I think Iowa pulls this one out ultimately. And maybe they just squeak it out because it could be a fluke game where it's closer than it should be, but they do take the win. Yeah, the, the, the potential for a trap game is absolutely there, especially if it's not something that's tripped them up in one way or the other um, in that Penn state, Michigan state block immediately prior to it, especially because I was going to Wisconsin that very next week. So, you know, if any of them get caught looking ahead or caught thinking about 
you know, first year head coach, first year QB system that we've dismantled before. That's dangerous territory. So like you, unless we see something out of Purdue that we're not expecting at this point, I think it's going to be an Iowa win. I think it's going to be pretty close. It, it might be a one possession win, but I don't think Purdue has the horses who shouldn't play football. I don't think Purdue has the horses for Iowa's defense. I really don't. Hudson card, you know, tra la la, but Iowa went up against Keaton Slovis, who was every bit the uh, prospect that card was and knocked him out of the game. You know, you could say the same thing about Sean Clifford when Penn state came to town in 2021, you know, Purdue needs to make sure that Hudson Card stays up right for four quarters. That is not a guarantee against this defense, especially when you want to do all that spread and shred and all of that. Look, you can, you can try that. Your quarterback's rib cage better be up for it. <laughs> yeah. Logan Lee and, and Deontay Craig might have something to say about that. Thing or two. <laughs> Go ahead, yeah Ross. yeah i mean uh you know you've called this a potential fluke loss and i mean lately losses to purdue really haven't been a fluke they've you know had iowa's number several of the last few years but the biggest reason for that uh is now applying his trade elsewhere jeff brahm is no longer our problem thankfully he's the acc's problem um for now until everything blows up again but uh yeah, so I think that's that's a plus for us that, you know, the Purdue that we're facing is not the Jeff Brom Purdue. It's it's a brand new Purdue. Uh, we don't really know what Ryan Walters, the new head coach. He was the coordinator, defensive coordinator at Illinois. So, you know, that's that's going to be his mindset. Uh, Graham Harrell is the offensive coordinator, uh, former Texas Tech quarterback many, 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 many years ago. That and, dude is uh, going to want to air it out. I guarantee it. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Guaranteed. I mean, they, yeah. The basketball on grass air raid, like that's hundred percent going to be their offensive approach. Um, and you know, like Adam said, if Iowa can get to the quarterback, that can be very risky for that offense. I think Purdue is going to be a threatening team in the big 10, but not yet this year. I think this is a transition year. You know, they're still going to be putting the pieces together, figuring out what they're doing. Um, uh, you know, Hudson card next year, that could be a scary proposition, but I don't think this year they're all the way there yet, at least by the time Iowa plays them in early October. So, uh, I, I will chalk this up as an Iowa win. Not, I don't think it'll be a comfortable one. It'll be some uncomfortable moments in the second half, but, uh, Iowa does come away with a W. Hawkeyes expected by us to be five and one at this point, heading into Madison playing the Badgers. And this is a game that a lot of people have circled as a potential loss. And I said it on our premium board. I think I said it on Twitter as well, but you should check it out on the premium board. Iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe. And I said it because. Oh, well, I'll tell you what I said first is I don't understand the immediate, immediate infatuation with the Badgers. You got a first year head coach and you're bringing in the air raid. 
this is like bringing in the air raid to Iowa and expecting them to be a top 20 team right away. And I'm a believer in Luke Fickle. I think he's going to make that program a, a incredibly solid going forward. Do I think they're number 19 in the country right now? No, no. I don't necessarily believe in Tanner Mordecai. I, I, I mean, based on recruiting pedigree, which is my expertise as a recruiting analyst at iowa.rivals.com, I would be more inclined to believe in Hudson Card in that position, much more so than a guy like Tanner Mordecai. I mean, Braylon Allen was your battering ram of a running back. I see he's trying to lose weight because of this air raid offense. Are they going to be a traditionally strong defense just by way of what they've been and bringing some guys back? I, I'm not a believer to the degree that I think a lot of people are in Wisconsin. Does that make me think that, the, and, and, and to boot, they looked pretty freaking awful at points last year. Graham Mertz is not going to be the savior of Florida football. I can tell you that right now. And with that said, <laughs> I could see this being an Iowa loss because it's in Madison and it's a tough place to play. And maybe they, they get into a groove at this point in the season. Now, because of everything I've said, because of how dominant we expect the Iowa defense to be, and Cade McNamara will be leading the offense, I think this could be a three-point win. I also think this could be a seven-point loss. So there's a, there's there's some leeway. It may very well be a seven-point win, too. I, I lean more, if it is a victory, to be a close victory. Despite all the negative things that I said, I do still think Wisconsin is a solid program. I think Luke Fickle gets this team moving in the right direction whether that means victories over solid teams like iowa i don't know whether that means tanner mordecai is, is confident and throwing the ball every which way in in week seven or whatever it is based on buys and such i don't know i don't think so i don't think the badgers end this season in the top 25 at the at like bare minimum i i don't think they're a top 25 team especially to start the season i i also don't quite know why Wisconsin's ranked 19th because I think if, if they put everything together Phil Longo's air raid system Tanner Mordecai you know running that offense the way that it ought to be run which which includes you know QB reads at the line right if that if all of that reading gets imparted by the middle of their first year in Madison it's probably better than the 19th ranked team. If they need a full season plus to implement all of these changes, to, to, to turn Wisconsin from Badger football, you know, everything that's been made in Alvarez's and Bielema's image, to turn that around into, you know, one of the most high-flying offenses in the conference. If that takes them a year plus, they're not a top 25 team, like you said. So I, I, either way, I don't think number 19 is accurate. <laughs> it's, it, it's, um, it, it's going to be difficult for Iowa to win up there. Absolutely. I've been up there and I've seen better Iowa teams get absolutely dismantled from the jump. I've seen some really horrific offensive performances from the Hawkeyes up there. And we don't know for sure 
that the offense is fixed or will be fixed at that point. So it's going to be a challenge. I, I, at this point, I kind of lean toward Iowa winning, but only because of that uncertainty that we're feeling preseason. If we start to think Wisconsin has clicked, that it's gelling, it's working, I might change that. Right now, good Lord, I'm going to say Iowa 20, Wisconsin 17. Ross, what do you think? Uh, Well, you know, that 19 uh, ranking, I think, is more a reflection of Wisconsin kind of as a program than – uh, and their recent level of success than this particular Wisconsin team. I kind of low key think that Wisconsin doing an air raid transition is one of the most fascinating experiments in college football. I mean, it's like te- teaching a bunch of cows how to like roller skate or something. I mean, it's just, it's, it's an insane idea. And if it works, I don't know, it's going to be something to see, but I I am very skeptical. Um, you know, Tanner Mordecai, he's had his ups and downs. He's going to be facing some really good defenses in the Big Ten, though. Uh, Iowa among them, for sure. But as far as this game goes and Iowa playing in Madison, I just keep coming back to the defenses. And, you know, for all the transition on offense, the, the makeover there, the Badger defense is still going to be – you know, tough as nails. They're going to be nasty. It's going to be tough to move the ball. So I'm seeing an ugly low scoring game. And I don't know. My heart says Iowa. My head says something stupid happens and the Badgers prevail in Madison. So uh, it's August. Let's go with the heart. So let's say the Hawkeyes by three. (laughs) I think we're all on the same page of, seeing a near win or a potentially embarrassing loss here in these circumstance in this circumstance. Um, I, I think as well, what Iowa fans are hoping for is you get Xavier Lucas, but you lose 2023 game. How's that? How's that a fair trade uh, four star corner <laughs> anyway? Um, so I, yeah, I think we're all on the same page there. That could be, loss number two or number three at this point in the season and it it's a win we're talking about trap games here's this one against minnesota next week in iowa city that's the anf black and gold spirit game their schedule i if i'm remembering correctly is absolutely brutal this season and i'm looking it up here as i'm filibustering but it's not going to be fun, and this is one where you could see Minnesota entering the game with two or three wins and thinking, oh, we're going to roll over them. But that could be a product of their schedule, too, and that could be a solid football team that is just down on its luck. Let's see here. Nebraska, Eastern Michigan, they play North Carolina in the non-con, then Northwestern, then Louisiana, Michigan, prior to Iowa, Michigan State, Illinois, Purdue, Ohio State, and Wisconsin. So not only are they in the Big Ten West, but they play both Ohio State and Michigan in the Big Ten East. So it's uh, 
I, on its face, see it as a win, but this could very, very easily be a trap game in a scenario where you're walking in thinking, meh, they're not that good. And then, oh, wait, they pop you in the mouth a little bit, and here we go. They do have a new starting quarterback. Tanner Morgan, despite being there for the last 10 years, is no longer the the Golden Gophers guy under center. So I think it's an Iowa win. Another, It's, it's another one of those that – they could end up end up dropping and not be not be happy about. So go ahead, Adam. Yeah, I, I think this is another one of those situations where you look at the the schedule with two games in tandem. I think one way or the other, they probably split the twosome with Wisconsin and Minnesota for exactly the reasons that you mentioned. PJ Fleck, I mean, look. He looks like Rob Cordry with a with a Red Bull uh, addiction is the word I was looking for. But I mean, I mean, he looks exactly like Rob Cordry's like jock brother. It looks exactly you're never going to unsee it. But PJ Fleck knows a thing or two about Big Ten football, especially Big Ten West football. They, you know, they have some turnover on that offensive line that they're going to have to work through, which sort of works in Iowa's benefit. You sort of wish that Iowa was seeing them in September than October, though. And, you know, Fleck knows how to play Iowa close. And in a lot of ways, Iowa was a little bit lucky to win that game last year. That was a battle, an absolute battle. And, you know, I'm not sure Iowa wins that game more than five times out of ten. So especially with everything that is like with the cadence of the season with Iowa coming off that Wisconsin game, Minnesota's going to be coming off that Michigan game and they're coming you know, off a bye. A... Oh, that's right. Okay. Well, even better for them because yeah. that means that they get to rest up off of that. Now, if PJ flex really like Kirk Ferentz and that's bad news because Ferentz is <laughs> Had some real clunkers coming out of bye weeks. So I, I hopefully, I, I think people in Iowa City are going to be hoping that Fleck has picked that up from Ferentz as well. We'll see. Uh, so I, I'll just say I'm predicting one and one out of the Wisconsin game and the Minnesota game. So since I picked that three-point win for now, I'm going to say three-point loss to the Gophers. But with the caveat that you know, if we see that Wisconsin's actually that better team and more capable of winning that game in Madison, it wouldn't surprise me if Iowa takes it out on the goofers. I agree. Uh, I'm feeling the same way as Adam that I, the Wisconsin Minnesota games feel like a tandem where I was not going to win both of them. To me, it, they're going to drop one of them. It's just a matter of which one. This game uh, scares me for several reasons. The the last two games against Minnesota on paper, Iowa really had no business winning either one of them. Uh, Minnesota outgained Iowa crazy in both games, I think. And it, it came down to just Iowa getting some very timely uh, touchdowns, some very timely turnovers. You know, just the, the things that they needed to do broke exactly the way they had to for Iowa to win those games. It's tough to keep relying on that. Uh, this is a game that I think P.J. Fleck really wants 
He's never beat Iowa. He wants that win badly. He's going to have two weeks to prep for it. It might be a game where, you know, could be kind of a turnaround their season game because if they're coming off a loss to Michigan, if they lose to North Carolina, maybe someone else in the early season, you know, they're sitting at two and three, three and three, whatever uh, they're at before that bye week, you know, they're going to circle the wagons for this Iowa game. This is, you know, we need to get back on track, beat those damn Hawkeyes. And uh, I think they're going to give us our best, their best uh, effort. And Iowa, you know, this is, what is this going to be? Seven straight games for the Hawkeyes or eight straight games. So, you know, you do worry about wearing down, like who's injured, who's healthy, who's tired, who just is trying to get to that bye week. And, you know, I want to pick an Iowa win, but there's just a lot of things adding up here that I think it could be the Gophers year, which pains me to say. A collective six and two after eight weeks heading into the bye. Are if you're an Iowa fan, are you happy with that at this point in the season? You would think, I think so. I would say tentatively yes. I think it depends on you know that Wisconsin, Michigan two for Wisconsin, Minnesota two for rather. And where's Wisconsin uh, in the standings? You know, are they ahead of Iowa? Is Iowa, if I was looking up at them in the West standings, you don't feel good about that. If they're, you know, still behind Iowa or tied, you feel a little bit better. But, you know, I think Iowa, the goal is certainly to win the West in the final year of divisional play, uh, RIP divisions. So if Iowa's, you know, got room to, has a lot of room to make up for that last month, even, even six and two isn't bad, but you're still not feeling great. What do you think, Adam? Yeah, I, I, you know, the devil's going to be in the details on that one because if they're averaging 23 points a game and they're 6-2, and two, then one, you've got that contract stuff to, to worry about. But two, there's going to be a whole lot of fans that say, we told you so. Because if they're averaging under 25, my guess is those two losses are going to be pretty competitive, pretty close, and a situation where you're like, look, if they're scoring 30 points a game, this team is undefeated. And this, you know, we, we've been telling you for years, this offensive coordinator's holding the team back, et cetera, et cetera. My, my really fuego spicy take, if we want to be honest about it, is Brian Ferentz is a genius for getting this team to as many wins as he did over the last couple of years. I don't know if the people are ready for that. I don't know if the people are ready. But <laughs> Whoa. You can make that case. You could, you could. Listen, for as bad as that offensive line has been, and for the confidence that they play in, they should not have been winning eight or nine games in a year. That Not in the Big Ten West. So that is just going to throw that world out there. That all said, you know, I think you're right. I think it does matter what the standings look like. Uh, but we also have to remember that there's going to be another month in the season left, and that November sets up awfully sweet for the Hawkeyes. So I, I think – something will have had to go really wrong for people to be really upset about six and two, because this could, you know, shoot way up in a hurry once they get off that bye week. Now for our sake, let's hope that that, if that second loss does come, it's not to Minnesota going into the bye week. Cause that's going to be a long two weeks for us. Whole lot of negative Nancy's sharing <laughs> their opinions and being, not not uh, not fun to hear from. Anyway, 
bye week, and then I think we can skip over these next two. <laughs> it's Northwestern and Rutgers. Those are wins. Am I wrong? They better be. I mean, it's the season has taken a very sour turn if those are are not W's. That's for sure. I would agree uh, that it's you know you you really want to see that score on the scoreboard and you want to see the clock at zero whenever Iowa Northwestern play because I've I've seen better Iowa teams than this lose to Northwestern, but you know Pat Fitzgerald's not there anymore and from the sound of it, good riddance. But we'll see, you know, that that team just keeps finding a way to make things worse in Iowa City. But Iowa really, really, really should not lose either of these next two games. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Looking at Northwestern schedule here briefly, you know, you got to think they get that those at least – Two wins, one over UTEP, the other over Howard. Other than that, I think their over over under win total is three. Do they get the W over Rutgers? Other than that, I hammer the under. I think I heard that somewhere, but I'm it's pretty easy to hammer that under. I mean, their other the rest of their games are week one Rutgers, two UTEP, three Duke, Minnesota, Penn State, Howard, Nebraska, Maryland, Iowa, Wisconsin, Purdue, Illinois. And I just don't see a win there. Otherwise, I'm I'm hammering that under. If it was three and a half, oh, easy. Oh. Maybe they maybe they squeak out a win against Rutgers or whatever, you know. But other than that, if it remained three, it was three and a half with Fitz, and then went down to three <laughs> with his departure. So yeah, gonna be a brutal season for the Wildcats. Now we take that as two wins at eight and two heading to. That game against Illinois, which will be in Iowa City. I imagine a large contingent of players on the roster coming back from last year having sour taste in their mouth after that 9-6 to loss in Champaign. I think this is a win, obviously also contingent on what Illinois is offensively. I, you know, I, I truthfully, I don't know enough about their personnel to make any sort of definitive statement on on Illinois' offense. Now we know their their defense is going to be good, just based on the fact that of what they were last year. And I, I, if I'm remembering correctly, their defensive their front four is supposed to be really really solid this year. So I think it's a win. I think it's a seven point win in you know factoring in the fact that it is at, at Kinnick in Kinnick rather. It's senior day. I think uh, there there is just a collective bad taste in the mouth after that stupid, stupid loss last year uh, to, to Illinois in Champaign, and it's a victory, a third straight victory for Iowa. This is going to be tough. This this is because you know if, if you've been around this program for long enough, you know Bielema knows a thing or two about playing against Kirk Ferentz and knows how to find the weak spots in that Iowa attack, you know, aside from the playbook, um, that it's – what's a good way to put this? I don't have Kirk Ferentz's record against Bielema right in front of me, but I know it's not good. And – I was saying at the end of last season, 
Illinois' number one priority has to be to lock up Bielema to as long a contract as possible with as heavy a buyout as possible because he's exactly what that program needs to become competitive again in the Big Ten West. I think this is going to be a very, very difficult matchup for Iowa unless we see something in those you know, first couple months, whether there, whether the Illini offense gets derailed one way or the other, um, or that, you know, injuries happen, something doesn't gel on, you know, for either team. We'll find out. We'll see right now. Boy, this feels like another one of those, like 13 to 10, 16 to 10, maybe even like 16 to six, but in the favor of the Illini. And, and that's another situation where, boy, the fans would not be happy about that, especially given the stakes of where that conference race is going to be at that point, because we're talking about the third conference loss at this point. And I don't really think six and three wins you the West this year. So they better hope that they're winning that one. But I have seen enough of Illinois I've seen enough of Bielema to know that this is going to be a real, real struggle for the Hawkeyes. Ross, what do you think? Uh, you know, I'm interested in this one. I believe Ference's record against Bielema is three and four after last year. I'm just looking it up now. Um, he went uh, two. Two and three against him at Wisconsin, and I believe they're one and one uh, since Bielema took over at Illinois. And so that's going to be an interesting uh, matchup for sure. Uh, Bielema's definitely had Kirk's number in the past. I'm interested to see how this is a really interesting year for Illinois to me because how well are they able to consolidate the gains they made last year? Uh, you know, they were really kind of the not right Cinderella team in the Big Ten, but you know, very pleasant surprise. No one really pegged them for, for what they did. Uh, and they, you know, probably should have been in the Big Ten title game if they hadn't uh, messed up in a few games and, you know, didn't get the wins they needed. But how well are they able to build on that and consolidate that? They lost their defensive coordinator, who was the architect of that excellent defense. He's at Purdue. They lost a ton of players on that team, especially on defense, like, three quarters of their starting secondary, I think is gone. Uh, and they were nasty. So I think, you know, Bielema is a great hire for Illinois long-term. I think he's going to get them, you know, way better than they've been in decades. They're going to be a really solid team, but this particular year, you know, is there some backsliding there? Is there, you know, just not what they were, you know, I, I that's kind of what I'm thinking. And as far as this game goes, you know, it's, it's Kirk, it's, it's Burt. It's Iowa, it's Illinois. It's going to be ugly, low scoring, but I'm going to take Iowa in this one. I think uh, those personnel advantages that Iowa's going to have with what Illinois is missing will come into play. I was going to reference the defensive backfield as well. They are losing a a good portion of their starters. Go ahead, Adam. Brett Bielema, apologist. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I would feel a whole lot better about this game if it were in September. And that secondary didn't have 10 weeks to gel prior to playing Iowa. That's all I'll point out. You know, a whole lot of people say you don't want to face Iowa in November. I don't want to face this Illinois team in November either. 
So I, I think it's going to be a very, very competitive game. Uh, you know, there, there's, it's probably going to be low scoring people. Oh, sickos, blah, 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 blah. It's going to be a good game just because they're not lighting up the scoreboard. doesn't mean it's like bad football, but you know, I, I, I think it's going to be a four quarter battle and yeah, I absolutely am a Brett Bielema apologist. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, <laughs> there, there, there's a few alternate scenarios where he's the head coach in Iowa City right now. You know, we're not living in one of them, but, you know, it was plausible. We'll just put it that way. But I, I think it's a close, close Illinois win. And, uh, you know, prove me wrong, you know, won't, won't, bother, won't bother me one bit if I'm wrong. You heard it here first in another universe. Brett Bielema is the head coach for Iowa football. Not this one, but in another one. On to that final week of the regular season. It is at Nebraska in Lincoln. Adam and I, we will definitely be at that one among all the other OA games for that matter. Uh, But a little bit closer to my side of the state, Northwest Iowa and Ida Grove. And... You know, there will be a certain contingent of fans in Western Iowa that will be rooting against the Hawkeyes in this one for their beloved Cornhuskers. Now, it's early in the day. It's going to be cold. And I think this is one where the run game this late in the season, while it's, again, cold, in Nebraska is going to be very important with your three-headed monster at tailback. I think this one is going to be contingent on the run game like a lot of the other ones that are late in the season. It's Big Ten football. It's cold. I'm not making any fantastic points by saying that. Additionally, I I don't like to put this into the ether, but with a quarterback who's kind of injury prone, I don't know that we're going to be seeing Jeff Sims starting for Nebraska at this point in the season. Additionally, additionally, on top of the other additionally that I mentioned, I think Matt Rule is a second-year coach in terms of revamping programs. I can't remember what his exact record is in his first years at Baylor and Temple, but it's not good. It's not particularly good. I don't think this is a year where Nebraska is necessarily formidable on its face. Now, you definitely didn't say that last year either. And Iowa dropped one in Iowa City. Circumstances a little bit different. P.J. Hall, very very inexperienced. Trey Palmer just really eviscerated the Iowa defense. And so all things considered, I think Iowa does handle the Cornhuskers here. And while there is definitely a potential loss at or against Illinois, and maybe very well at this point to Nebraska. I think Iowa ends the regular season 10 and two big 10 West champs and anything. I don't want to say anything less than that as a disappointment, but it kind of is when you've got Cade McNamara coming in and all of the things you did differently in the final year of the big 10 West, where you have an opportunity to play against the lesser half of the big 10. I think you, you got to hope for it. I mean, it's true. Am, am I wrong, Ross? I see no, a giggle. You're not wrong. You're not okay. wrong. <laughs> so it, it's a bit of a stretch to say it's a disappointment if you end the season anything less than 10 and 2. I will, I will admit that. But it's also kind of not. You know, I mean, given all of the circumstances, 
I think this should be a win. And I, I really, I don't want to come off as a homer saying I was going to go 10 and two right away, especially as the new guy on the beat. But I, 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 that's the way it should go. Whether the way it does go is another thing. That's the way it should go for Iowa contingent on health and all the other things you can't exactly control throughout the season. Adam. So should we just put Homer right there on your business card or probably at this rate, at uh, this rate. Yeah. <laughs> that, that all said, like, I, I don't entirely disagree with any of that line of logic. Uh, you, you look at this schedule right now, there are two ranked teams on Iowa's entire schedule. It's the trip to Penn state and the trip to Wisconsin. That's it. Um, and you know, maybe Illinois is bumping up against that top 25 by that point in the season. Maybe not. Maybe Nebraska is flirting with it. Maybe not. Um, I don't think anybody else, if you really look at it, you know, nobody's really jumping out as someone who's going to climb into their maybe Minnesota. You know, there's there, there's a plausibility, especially if, you know, these teams can can pick off the Badgers in, you know, or, or, or string together three, four, five wins, which is plausible because, you know, we're talking about the Big Ten version of the Big 12 North. And um, it is really disappointing to not win a division title when a division's not that good. So we'll see where Iowa gets. We'll see where the rest of the division shakes out. I've got them at nine and three. I think they win this game and I think they probably win it by double digits because they've, they've got some unfinished business. We'll put it that way. And like you said, you know, if, if TJ Hall's not on that field, if Cooper DeGene has given him four quarters, how that Nebraska team goes about that, you know, they're probably not building that lead. They're probably still not going to be up for a very competitive fourth quarter, which they weren't. You know, I think Iowa probably wins that game last year. And I think Iowa looks better on paper this year, substantially. And I expect them to still look better on paper by the end of the season. Nebraska, boy, a whole lot of uncertainty that at this point, here in the middle of August, I'm not going to give them credit for. So I think Iowa wins it. And, and I think Kirk really enjoys it, too. Uh, you know, he's he's the sort of guy that, boy, you, you give him a win in Lincoln and he's not going to take it for granted. So at that point, I've got him at nine and three, six and three, and really up to the, the tiebreaker gods at that point, uh, especially depending on where those three come in, because really in, in, in each of the three losses, I'm I'm chalking it up to a two game spread that I think they split. So it, it, it might be against Illinois michigan state minnesota if that's the case and they've got wins over penn state wisconsin and nebraska you know six and three might get them to indianapolis and might get them to a top 15 finish at that point um you know it's not going to be fun get you know once you're in minion or indianapolis it's not going to be fun whoever you face but they're there and that's a team goal that's met so you know 
is is nine and three going to be disappointing to some people? Sure, because eleven and one would be disappointing to them. You know, anything less than a, a playoff berth would be disappointing to a certain contingent of fans. Well, okay, fine, but that contingent of fans that still sold out this season after what the offense did last season, they're going to be happy, I would guess, with nine and three and six and three and up to the tiebreakers as to whether or not, with a share of the division, we'll say that. And and if somebody goes eight and one or seven and two in the Big Ten West, congratulations, you've earned it at that point. Uh, But we'll, we'll see how satisfying that is to fans because I think the devil's going to be in the details at that point and and we're going far beyond whether or not they're scoring 25 points I think like I said before I think they clear that with relative ease uh, I, I think this is closer to a 28 29 30 point a game team and I think the defense should be should be keeping them in every game too but we've seen this before we, we've seen Iowa lose games that they shouldn't We've seen Iowa win games they shouldn't. I think we're going to see a couple of those this year. But look, for a team clawing themselves out of such a disastrous offense over the last two seasons, nine and three and something competent, moving the ball is going to feel like a real freshest breath of air to the majority of the fan base. I, I, I feel very confident saying that. I would agree with that. Um, where I come down on this Nebraska game is I've kind of looked at the games the same way as you, Adam, and that seeing them in little uh, pairings, kind of, you know, the Penn State, Michigan State, Wisconsin, Minnesota, this one kind of doubled up with the Illinois game. And, you know, definitely seeing splits of those games as a real possibility. You know, on paper, I th- Iowa does look better than Nebraska. I think Elliot's point about, you know, Matt Rule teams being a lot better in year two than year one is a really strong one, uh, especially at the end of what could be a difficult Big Ten season. You know, it wouldn't be a shock if Nebraska is kind of dragging, you know, by the end of that season. They've, you know, endured a lot of uh, tough physical games. But, you know, where I kind of – so I, objectively, I think this game looks like an Iowa W, which would be 10-2 and two for me, I think. I still kind of feel like somehow 9-3 and three is the better overall record. Like when I go game by game, 10-2 and two makes sense to me, but – I have a hard time seeing right now a 10 win team without that's just a lot of faith to put in the offense after last season. And until I see the offense actually be improved on the field and do things that they weren't capable of doing last year, then I can start believing in a 10 win season. You know, I just think nine wins, however it happens, maybe they lose the Purdue game that I, I gave them a win in earlier. So but nine wins somehow is where I'm sitting at right now. The way I look at it is this, especially if you're looking at, at it game by game versus aggregate. If I've got like a six-sided dice or dive, um, if I'm looking at, and, and I am, I'm going to throw that die 12 times, for each of those throws, I will predict that I'm going to get a three or higher because there's that's that's four out of the six, right? So it wouldn't make any sense for me to be like, this one's going to be either a one or a two. Like, why would I predict something that's less likely, right? But if I throw it 12 times, I'm going to expect that one or two to happen three, four times 
even if individual throws, I'm like, yep, it's going to be higher. It's going to be higher. So that's sort of where I come down on Iowa's schedule. There's a lot of games that they should be favored in. But in that sort of situation where a die would be favored to throw a three or a higher, you, you keep putting them in games that they can lose. And at some point they probably will. And it's going to be something that doesn't make a whole lot of sense that, you know, does not pass the smell test, doesn't pass the logic test as we're sitting here on, on an August evening. But weird stuff happens. It's football. It's a long season. Guys get hurt. The ball bounces weird. And, you know, ultimately there's only so much you can predict ahead of time. It's you just got to get on that field and see how things shake out with these, you know, essentially kids. And uh, so I, like you, I think this is closer to a nine win team than a 10 win team, but it would not surprise me. And they really don't need a whole lot of breaks to go their way to get to that 10 win mark. And um, really they don't, they, they really don't need a whole lot to get to nine. And, and I mean, listen to us talking about this about saying, yeah, Iowa, yeah, nine and three sounds about right. There are so many programs that would kill to be winning nine games a year and be meh about it in the Big Ten. Just go cross the Rockies. Everyone would love to trade spots with Iowa at that point. Uh, Look at Ames. They would love to be at Iowa's point at that point. So – we're a little bit blessed here as, as journalists who get to cover what's essentially a, a team with a high floor of success in a conference with a high floor of quality. And, uh, and everybody wants to see this team do special things. It's more fun to cover a team that does special things than one that doesn't. And so in that sense, like, yeah, I guess we're rooting for more wins or, 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 or something really, really fun and interesting to happen. Um, but let's not lose sight of the fact that a nine-win team in the Big Ten who really, really should be competing for a division championship, that's a super successful season, and most teams in America would love to have it. There you go. I think that's a good point to stop. <laughs> uh, good pod, gentlemen. We will wrap it up here. My name is Elliot Clough. I'm the recruiting analyst for iowa.rivals.com. He is Adam Jacoby, our publisher, and Ross, our managing editor, which I just found out six or seven months into the job. And before you go, make sure you subscribe wherever you are listening. If you have a question for us for our next pod, you can drop it as a five-star rate and review on Apple Podcasts or subscribe today at iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe if you're already a premium subscriber drop that question on the premium board and we will get to it we appreciate you all who have subscribed tuned in left that five-star rate and review for us today for now my name is elliot clough at elliot clough on twitter he's adam jacoby at adam underscore jacoby and we got ross binder at ross wb on twitter for now we'll see you next time